We're reading from 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 10, and on this Bible, it's page 818. I've got to find it too now. <laughs> Wonderful. Now we know that if, our, if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we will have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is moral may be swallowed up by life. Mortal, sorry. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Bible reader today was David. He's my son. And uh, if you wanted to have a, a bit of a think about what I looked like with hair in my youth, <laughs> it was a bit like David's at one stage. His is a bit longer, especially now. Speaking of age, um, Rex turns 80 tomorrow, so we've got to make sure we... Uh, Give, give Rexy a, a bit of a birthday pat on the back. So, yeah. All right, let's um, pray and, and see if we can get some encouragement from this word today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time we share together now. Thank you for your word that uh, sheds light on, on the life that we have in this age and in the age to come. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be uh, encouraged as we think about these things today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your bulletin outline there, you'll see my introductory remark is there's no place like home. Can you remember a movie that that, uh, that, that quote comes from? There'd be a lot of people here who are younger who haven't seen The Wizard of Oz. But uh, in the movie The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy is in the, the land of Oz and... Uh, She's ready to go home. And a fairy comes and tells her that she's got to tap her heels together three times in these glittery little shoes and say, repeating, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. And then she says this, no, there's no place like home. Moments later, she wakes up back in Kansas after the tornadoes cut through and she wakes from her unconsciousness back to be home with family and friends. And presumably she uh, you know, lives happily ever after and that type of thing. But I must say, um, I'm not actually much of a fan of The Wizard of Oz. I grew up in a family which didn't really appreciate musicals. My father used to call them musical stupid things and, and walked out of the sound of music with when, he, when he was watching it with my mother. But, um, <laughs> but this, this particular line, you don't have to know much about The Wizard of Oz, but this particular line... 
there's no place like home is the salient point. And it just seems to ring true. It rings true for me and, and for so many people. And I wonder if you can relate to it too. There's no place like home. I mean, it's fun to go on holidays, isn't it? To travel and see some magnificent and wonderful things. And I'm not just talking about a day trip up to Kempsey to see the mighty Maclay River and the Slim Dusty Centre. I mean, heading off to places like New Zealand to see the Alps, the glaciers, and to behold wonderful landscapes with, with family and friends. It's, it's terrific, isn't it, to go on a pretty special holiday. But for all the holidaying that people do, I've also heard them say, and I've said it myself, that was terrific. But gee, it's nice to get home too. And to be in my own bed. <laughs> ah, there's no place like home. Well, in today's passage, Paul says something a little bit similar to that when he notes that he'd prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. For Paul, there was no place like home, and that was ultimately to be with the Lord. That was home for Paul. And it makes sense uh, that Paul speaks about that that kind of longing or that kind of hope. For the context for those words... Uh, comes from chapter 4, verse 18, where he's just written that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul, so to speak, is looking forward to that unseen and eternal future. And as he does so, he writes to the Corinthians to encourage them with that, a glimpse of that future. And he writes to encourage us as well about that hope of being at home with the Lord. There's no place like home. And the first point we note that he he raises is that we look forward to new lives and a new home. That's the first point in the outline. We're looking forward to new lives and a new home, new bodies actually. I'll read from verses 1 to 4. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. He he raises the possibility, and, and, and it does happen, that the earthly tents will be destroyed. This is the prospect of dying and our bodies um, going to dust. And the prospect of dying actually uh, is is something that uh, weighs heavily on Paul. In other letters, like in 1 Corinthians, it seems he's expecting the Lord to return in his lifetime. But in in 2 Corinthians, he's thinking, no, he actually might die before that happens. In chapter 1, verse 18, he mentions hardship to the point of despairing of life. In verse 9 of chapter 1, he says, Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. And in chapter 4, he starts to recount some of his difficult experiences. In verse 8, he says, we're hard-pressed on every side. So Paul's well acquainted with hardship and the reality of death that comes through this letter, it it seems that it hasn't been far away from him. But what's his reaction to the prospect of the body, the earthly tent, being destroyed? How does Paul cope with the prospect of of his death. 
Well, it's not actually despair. On the contrary, there's hope in getting a renewed body. Verse 1 says, If the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Likewise, in verse 2, he says, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. And again, in verse 4, For while we're in this tent, which is a, a, a metaphor for the body, we groan in a burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. This is the idea in other translations that not unclothed, but further clothed. Um, he talks about being without a body is a type of nakedness. And this is a, a consistent hope that he's got of the future. He's got a hope of a, of a, a, a new body. And he's, he's raised this hope uh, in 1 Corinthians. It's a consistent point that he's making here. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42 to 44, he says, the body that is sown is perishable. He's talking about the earthly bodies we have now. And then he speaks about the resurrection body. He says, it is raised imperishable. It is sown a natural body and it's raised a spiritual body. And at this point, some uh, commentators draw attention to trains. And you're thinking, why do they draw attention to trains? Well, because trains are empowered by different things. In the past, they were empowered by steam. They were steam engines. But as things changed, they became empowered by diesel and electricity. And some point out that there's going to be bodies that we have uh, in God's new creation, his renewed creation, but our bodies won't be empowered in the same way they are now. They'll be empowered by God's spirit. If you think about Jesus' resurrected body, it was a, a special body where he, he had the marks of the nails and the spear in the side, but there was references to him being coming and going but not passing through walls and things like that uh, and so we, we're talking about our bodies are going to be like his resurrected body it's a special body that we're going to be given and Paul's talking about that kind of thing in this passage so as Paul anticipates death he writes not so much with despair uh, but with hope for what God's going to do for his people and in some he expects the mortal body is going to give away to a new body. In verse 4 he says, We do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. There's an anticipation of a new kind of reality. Well, why is Paul so optimistic about this uh, new body in God's future kingdom? Well, we get the picture from some of the key words that crop up in verse 2 and verse 4. He says, meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed. In verse 4, for while we're in this, this tent, we groan and are burdened. Paul describes life in this body as the experience of um, being characterised by groanings and longings and being burdened, and that, that experience... Uh, makes sense of his life too, doesn't it? When we think about uh, verses, chapter 4, verse 8 to 10, he says, We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, <coughs> perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Now, Paul's 
Paul recounts, and we'll read this later in 2 Corinthians, he gives a, a list of his sufferings. We won't look at that passage today, but he's, he really goes through some difficult times. I mean, one of them is that he spends a, a, a night and a day in the open sea. Now, I can't even stand being in the sea for more than half an hour before I start to get cold. But anyways, he has some difficult, difficult struggles. And this language about groaning and longing and being burdened certainly reflects aspects of life in a fallen world. Now, just to add a little bit of perspective here and balance, it's not the only thing that Paul says about life. Life is not only groaning and being burdened uh, and a difficult, difficult time in a fallen world. That is what life is like sometimes, and, and for some people it's, it's like that a lot of the time. It's, but this is just not the totality of all that Paul's saying. This sermon would be asymmetrical if I just said this is all of what Paul says about life. But for the purpose of this sermon, he is drawing attention to these struggles. And let me ask you, how many times have you ever felt burdened? or longed for a world restored. When we become familiar with some kind of disaster, experience of injustice, or we hear about violence, have you ever thought, oh, things shouldn't be like this? When we get a... And I, I, I thought of a list of things that I could share today, but, but by sharing those things, it just... You're left thinking about all these awful things that go on in the world. So I'm, I'm thinking you're acquainted with lots of things already. It's just suffice to say that there's violence out there and when I hear about problems in Africa, I think that is dreadful, you know, it shouldn't be like this. When we get acquainted with bad news, we can kind of connect with what Paul's speaking about here, this language of groaning and longing for God's kingdom to come. Now, it's true that as we experience... Uh, different adversity, different hardships and struggles in life, we can be discouraged. God has made us as people with emotions and feelings and when we face different kinds of problems, we don't have to pretend that we're altogether happy about everything that goes on in a fallen world. We don't have to pretend. I mean, we do rejoice in the Lord, but we don't have to pretend that, you know, when we we stub our toe kind of thing, that that's somehow great. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable. And Paul knew that too. He accepts the burdens of this life and he spoke about groanings and longings and he's longing for what is mortal to be swallowed up by life. So he's, he's looking forward to a situation that's not a, a difficult experience in this fallen world. And when we face... Uh, sorrows as well in this life and you'll be well acquainted with your sorrows we're not left without hope we have an orientation to the future and uh, that's what this this passage and other passages in the bible help us as god's people to to maintain our hope in a future in god's kingdom and paul wants to remind the corinthians and us that god's going to restore our bodies in his kingdom to come and each day that we live, we, we live with that hope, but we also have to live with the struggles uh, in a fallen world. But we don't live without hope because God's plans will succeed. God's going to actually do this. And we see that next in the next point, point two on my outline. God's plans will succeed in verse five. 
Now, it is God who made us for this very purpose. This is the restored bodies. And has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Life is not a random accident. God is taking history in a particular direction. He's bringing his kingdom to come. And uh, Paul looks forward to that, that uh, time. He knows that God's made us for that purpose, that longing that we have in our hearts for a, a better kind of future, one that's restored, is something that God has um, planned. He's made us for that purpose. To experience eternal life with him. And the spirit is given to us as a deposit guaranteeing that future. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration to keep you awake. Uh, when my mother was buying a half-decent second-hand car, I had the responsibility to help my mother. That's what sons are, one of their jobs, is to help their mother buy a car. And uh, as we worked with a salesman and came down on a car to get this particular vehicle that didn't have too many kilometres and wasn't clapped out, uh, the salesman uh, hopped into it and he was driving it off the site. He was driving it off the site so that we could take hold of the car and drive it away. And as he was driving the car off the lot, another salesman came along with some clients and he says, hey, where are you going with that? I've got people interested in buying it. And our salesman, with his cheeky look, said to him, it's too late, I've already got the deposit. <laughs> and uh, we'd handed down the deposit and secured the car. Now, it's important that when you go away from this sermon, you don't just remember this car illustration, okay? <laughs> God has done that kind of thing with us. He's handed down the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing our future with him. That's what the spirit's about. It's the, it's the point is something's given up front as a measure of the rest that'll come later. And it's the, uh, the resurrected bodies in God's uh, renewed um, creation that is the full thing that comes later. And we can trust God to deliver us into that, that kingdom. Paul notes that the one who's made us, God has made us with this purpose to be further clothed, to take down this earthly tent, put on our heavenly dwelling, and God gives us his spirit as we anticipate that future. This is the, the Christian hope. And Paul's emphasising this future orientation to life. He's, he's saying to the Corinthians, at one level we can't take this life too seriously, at one level. The super apostles were people who seemed to be big on triumph in this age. They were concerned to boast about themselves with their letters of recommendation. And they were less focused on the fact that this age, with its own frailties and weaknesses, is passing away. But Paul's orientation is clear that it's, it's God's kingdom to come that is the main game. And he wants his readers to be certain about God's faithfulness in delivering us into his kingdom, particularly in the face of our own deaths, when we can find all manner of discomfort and discouragements associated with death. There's a message from God's word today to remind us that uh, if we've received the Holy Spirit because we put our trust in Jesus, God will deliver us into his kingdom to come. And so God is going to do this.
And that's the encouragement we can receive from this word. And so now we live by faith. That's point three in my outline. We'll pick it up in verses six to nine. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. And I'll read the next few verses in a moment. Paul's conscious that he's not yet home with the Lord. He accepts that in this age we're in the body and we're away from the Lord. And in this stage of salvation, it's the time to live by faith. We live by trust, not by sight. When God's kingdom comes in all its fullness, as we read about in Revelation chapter 21, the renewal of the heavens and the earth takes place. And the kingdom of God comes that people have long been praying for, thy kingdom come, when it comes in its fullness, then we'll live by sight. When we dwell face to face with the Lord in this renewed earth. But until that time, we live by faith, trusting in the word of God as we anticipate that kingdom. Now, is Paul happy about this kind of situation, this you know, waiting around time? Does he find this current stage of life ideal? Well, no, we'll just look at it, verse 8. He says, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He's confident in what's coming but he still prefers to be at home with the Lord so it's there's a kind of a this age is a compromise it's a mixed bag we're grateful for small mercies but we still prefer to be uh, in God's kingdom to come and I think we can appreciate what Paul's saying too when we experience uncomfortable situations we think oh I wish life was a little less difficult a bit simpler a bit more peaceful that's when we're sort of looking forward um, to God's kingdom to come. And in this age, Paul accepts not yet being with the Lord, but he makes it his goal to live to please the Lord in this age. In verse 9, he says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home, in the body, or away from it. And so this is a point now for us to just think about what drives the Apostle Paul. It's interesting to note that pleasing the Lord is the principle that drives his life and his actions. He's not so hung up on being well-fed and comfortable. When we read the Sydney Morning Herald, there's lots of articles about food and holidays and you know, nice cheese to eat and wines to drink. Paul's not that hung up about you know, even good architecture. I really like you know, flat surfaces and not stairs and things like that. Paul's not, Paul's not hung up about being comfortable. Um, his prime focus isn't stamp collecting or watching the soccer. <laughs> his main objective in life is pleasing the Lord. That's just interesting. This is what drives him. And it explains a lot about what he does, doesn't it? He, he wants to please the Lord and so he gives up different comforts and takes the good news out and... Um, Okay, so as we think about uh, our lives as well and what principles drive us, the challenge is to think about where God has placed us as his people at this stage of life. God's put us amongst family and friends, neighbours, clubs, community groups and workplaces. 
And the question, an application question really is, what does it mean for us to please the Lord in the places that God's put us? I sometimes get curious about how a Christian might do their job different to somebody who's got a different worldview or is an unbeliever. And so is there a distinctively Christian way to be a cleaner? Some of the kids go and work at one of the places in town and do some cleaning. There is a way that they do their Christian cleaning. You know, they actually sweep the, the dust and rubbish up into the dustpan and put it in the bin. They don't sweep it under the carpet. That would be a distinctively Christian way to clean, wouldn't it? Is there a way to be a, a Christian town planner? They won't be taking any bribes. Presumably they'll be trying to do what's, what's honest and work with the laws. Is there a way to be a Christian painter? Well, presumably the Christian painter is going to make sure they mix in new paint for the client. They don't take the old mouldy stuff and pop it in and sort of water it down. Pleasing the Lord is going to overflow into all sorts of areas of our lives, isn't it? Uh, whether it's in our work. I was thinking about the next door, there's a, a dog washer, one of those mobile dog washers. They'll probably put enough shampoo in the dog wash. There we go. If they're a Christian, they'll do that. So being a Christian, what, whatever we do, we, we seek to please the Lord and that's going to affect the way that we carry ourselves in our families, clubs, neighbourhoods and in our work. And it's a good question to wrestle with. What might it look like to please the Lord in our areas of responsibility? Paul would prefer to be at home with the Lord, but he lived by faith, making it his aim to please the Lord. And may God help us to be amongst those who are also having it as our prime focus, as we live, live to please the Lord. Paul also seeks to please the Lord in view of what comes next in this section, and that is the judgment day. All will face the judgment day. We see that clearly in verse 10, don't we? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. In Acts chapter 18, we learn that when Paul was in Corinth, he was brought into the local court that was in the middle of town, and he stood before the judge Gallio, a Roman governor of the day, who would sit on the judgment seat in the middle of town in public view and from there he would make his judgments. And so these Corinthians, they were familiar with the judgment seat. Well, that was the judgment seat of a Roman governor, but here Paul's talking about the judgment seat of the Messiah, Christ, Jesus. And Paul was taken to the court by the Jews who rejected his teaching about Jesus. That's why he was taken to the court. But Gallio didn't really... Uh, want to know about their case and uh, he threw it out and had them ejected from the court. Now as Paul writes to the Corinthians that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ I wonder if he also had in mind that the, the Corinthians needed to know it's not just an earthly judge who matters, it's the Lord, he's the heavenly judge, he's the one who matters as we live to please the Lord, that's, that's who we're, we're also to be mindful of. And knowing about that judgment day impacts Paul's thinking. In verse 9, he's just said, we make it our aim to please the Lord for all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So he's, he's conscious that as he lives to please the Lord, um, that's, that's par partly what's in his mind. In fact, in the next verse too, he says, 
in verse 11, since, and this is outside the scope of our passage, so Scott will pick this more up next week, but he says, uh, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. Knowing about God's judgment day uh, drives Paul to persuade other men to get right with the judge. Paul fears the Lord. He seeks to bring the good news of Jesus who rescues us from God's righteous judgment to come. In fact, in verse 19, he points out that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. And because all will face the judgment day, which is a, an uncomfortable prospect to say the least, the good news is true that we're also reconciled to God through Jesus and he doesn't count our sin against us. Isn't that comforting? One commentator pointed out, this was Paul Barnett, he wrote that Paul's less concerned about God's condemnation because we know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus from Romans chapter, one, uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 1. But he's more concerned about God's evaluation. He's not worried about being condemned because he's in Christ, but he's still conscious of God's evaluation. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about people who serve, and if they do a, a you know, pretty average job, but they get saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. He's kind of cons- conscious that God's still going to be judging and evaluating. But as we think about the um, judgment day to come, come rather, uh, it reminds us to be grateful to God for a saviour, doesn't it? As we think about our lives and the ways that we, we fall short all the time, uh, God knows that and it reminds us why he sent Jesus. He's given us a saviour so that we enjoy reconciliation of God, not having our sins counted against us. That's, that's the, um, the good news. Well, in conclusion, let us keep this life in perspective. When we find ourselves burdened and groaning about hardships and when we're longing for a a different kind of future of a restored uh, world, we find ourselves longing to be at home with the Lord. And that's that's a good place for us to remain, to remain with our hope. Uh, longing to be at home with the Lord. Not, not so um, comfortable in this age that we're not longing for God's kingdom to come. Uh, the things that we've been looking at today have been given for our encouragement so that we, we find comfort in God. Uh, and as we think about what that reality might look like, it's, it's a bit mysterious, uh, hard for us to conceptualise. But I'm going to give you a quote as I close this sermon from... Uh, one of my former teachers, Dr. John Arthur Davies, who wrote, heaven ain't going there, a down-to-earth look at eternal life, because he's raising that it's not just about going to some uh, platonic floating around with clouds in the sky kind of thing. God talks about renewing and restoring this good creation and giving us new bodies. It's, um, that's something that he's emphasising. But in this, um, he says about the, the, the points Paul's raising, a new body that we'll be receiving. He says, such glimpses as we have of a world to come are given to encourage us to persevere in the face of our present struggles and difficulties, to reinforce our hope in God as a God of love and grace, a God who can be relied upon to keep his promises 
indeed to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. We're given uh, some teaching about the life to come so that we're actually uh, encouraged to persevere uh, and enter that kingdom. And so may God help us to be among those people who do persevere as we anticipate that future, that glorious future of being at home with the Lord. Let us close in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we give you thanks for uh, your kindness uh, in giving us hope in Jesus for a future where we'll be at home with you. Lord, we thank you that you've even um, revealed some things in your word to us about that time, about uh, bodies that will be restored and renewed to be like our Lord's body. And Lord, uh, we pray that you'd help us to be having our eyes fixed on um, looking forward to your kingdom to come. We pray that your kingdom would come and we pray that you'd help us to persevere uh, and enter into it. Lord, we thank you that we can encourage each other today as we um, read about uh, these, these good things in your word that remind us about your, your care for us and your willingness to uh, be reconciled to us and us reconciled to you and, and not have our sins counted against us. And Lord, we thank you that uh, we stand in your grace as your people. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.